At Mark guy, he never respects the links I send him. <laughs> I didn't even notice. I just saw at Mark pick. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Mark will take a look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, I just paste it in the slide. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 174 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell, and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, covered in snow, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And I presume that Mark down in San Jose, California is not covered in snow. I am not covered in snow. <laughs> All right. All righty. So, hey, Jaime, we have some uh, Ask FTJC. Why don't you just start us off on that? Yes, this is from Dan Beauregard, who says, first impressions on Amazon Prime Video app for Apple TV. A bit of an awkward UI, rigid mm-hmm. scrolling, but love that they integrated with the TV app. Right. Yeah I, yeah, I have to agree, yeah. I didn't know that they did that and it, it kind of makes sense from their standpoint in that unlike Netflix too is uh, 100%, you know, doubling down on their, their own original content and their whole analytics um, have been sort of like their their bread and butter of how they keep serving you up stuff. Amazon, even though they, they do both of those things, they also have a lot of stuff like, oh, look, you know, Wonder Woman, you can rent that for $5.99 or you can buy it for $19.99. You know, they mm-hmm. have tons of other content that they just want to sell. I don't think they feel quite as threatened in terms of being becoming yet another provider of content because that's right up their alley versus Netflix was like, no, 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 we don't, we don't want to ruin our experience to be commoditized. You, people come to our experience. That's interesting that Apple's letting them sell content directly on their app. I didn't realize I didn't, that didn't think into me until you just said it. Because remember, that was a big thing about the App Store, like with Audible, for instance. Audible used to have their own store inside the app. And as, as many people did when the app and the iPhone and things like that first came out, iOS. And, um, Apple said you can't sell things. You have to sell if anything you want to sell content-wise, you should sell through iTunes. Um, and it's interesting that they're letting Amazon do this directly now, right? With their own rental and their own on their own platform on the Apple platform. I mean, right? It was always the issue was always with uh, digital content, right? So you could yeah. buy Amazon Kindle books through their app. You had to go to the web to do it. Uh, this stuff, I guess, I don't know. Maybe it's a gray area. It's not really. I mean, it is digital content, of course, but it's not. I don't know. I, I don't know what distinguishes a, a video from a, from a book in terms of digital content. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just interesting that it's, it's, I think the market has kind of evolved to the point where, where Apple, I think Apple's, you know, now in a position where they're making, you know, money on subscriptions and other services that they don't need to be pinching pennies, I guess, right? Yeah, for, maybe not. Yeah. I mean, it draws more people to the platform than Amazon's app is on the, the platform as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I can talk about the, because I have the Amazon TV, I, on my TV, I have the Amazon app, but it's a web app, right? Um, it looks I posted a picture up on Twitter the other day because I took a picture of, because I don't understand what, what the fuss was about. We talked about this last week about the Amazon app um, on people were bashing it, saying it, it looked like a, like a web app. But compared to the web app I have on my television versus what's in the Apple TV, I would much rather watch it on the Apple TV. The the, the menu is a lot more, looks a lot more like um, like Netflix, you know, in terms of like the rows of videos and things like that and you make lists and things. But um, like I could not have, like I am presented with a lot more content through the Amazon app than on the Apple TV than I am on the on the web app, right? Mm. Uh, it's almost like there's non-existent video there, right? Have you compared them at all, Mark? I haven't yet. No, right. I need to do that. On my list for the holidays. Right. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, it, I haven't watched anything yet, but like, you know, like I'm I'm the, the, the man from High Castle is like on my list of things to watch, right? And that kind of stuff. But uh, I've always found that, you know, the one or two movies that I've seen on, on the Amazon uh, app itself, Amazon Prime Video 
at. It's been not such a great experience that I would go back there for any reason, but uh, it's, it's much better now on the Apple TV for sure. So, oh, good. Yeah. So anyway, that's good. Um, all right. So moving on to our follow-up. Uh, first story here is about Johnny Ive coming back to Apple. Um, like, I mean, to, to the technology side, I guess he was off doing the, the building. Is that where he was? Yeah. I think it was Apple Park as well as some holiday <laughs> installations at wherever it was. Holiday installations? Yeah. Like, I, I think it was essentially a Christmas, you know, right. um, setup, but I don't think it was specifically Christmas, even though it pretty much was Christmas. So we're going to call it a holiday celebration. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I guess he's back uh, back in the fold as the uh, lead designer. He's been gone for a couple of years. No comment on that, Mark? To be honest, I didn't even know he left. Well, that's what I said. He's <laughs> <laughs> gone. So that's what I said. I wonder what that means. Like, no, I've, I've, on this very show, I've definitely blamed him for a lot of things that I assumed were him because they seemed like his mm-hmm. style. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe they weren't. I really wish somebody had a, oh, Johnny didn't even touch this. And, oh, okay, well, take it back. Let me, let me give you credit back, sir, because I've, I've used your name in, in vain and I should not have. Yeah. yeah. He's got you on a list now, Jaime. So there's a couple of guys named Diane Haworth who served as VPs under user des- user interface design and industrial design or pres- presumably groomed for to replace him at some point. I think those are the two guys that have been sort of um, running things. Yeah, I'm trying to find their names here. Where's that fact check guy we need? <laughs> oh, Alan Dye uh, was the new vice, or is the new vice president of user interface design. This is, oh, sorry, this is from 2015 when they announced that, uh, I guess, I was leaving. And Richard Haworth, uh, vice president of industrial design. They took over for the last couple of years. But here I'll read from the what it says in the transcript. This is uh, Tim Cook speaking. Uh, Richard, Alan, and Johnny have been working together as colleagues and friends and for many years. Richard has been a member of the new design for, team for two decades. And in that time, he has been a key contributor to the design of each generation of iPhone, Mac, and per, uh, practically every other Apple product. Alan started at Apple nine years ago on the Marcom team and helped Johnny Ive build the UI team, which collaborated with ID, software engineering, and countless other groups, groundbreaking projects like iOS 7, iOS 8, and Apple Watch. So I guess the three the three are back together again, but it doesn't say specifically what uh, anything more about it than that. But like Mark and I said, we didn't even know he was gone. Yeah. Okay, so um, story out of, um, I think I found this on LinkedIn from Reuters uh, yesterday that um, Comcast apparently was also looking at buying Fox. Were we talking about this on more than just code? No, the reason <laughs> I chuckle, the reason you're thinking about this is because we covered the other half of this on Spockcast, where we were very excited right. about the possibility of Disney owning Fox and bringing all of its uh, Marvel characters back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So, th- and this is this story is about the fact that Comcast, who we've talked about on this show as being your largest cable provider, I guess, or I guess is that what you call them, internet providers, um, were in the running to, or they thought they were in the running to, to uh, attempt to buy Fox, but uh, apparently um, Disney's outbid them because so, apparently they can't afford it. And that's that story there. Um, did you guys have a look at this Wired Wired article at all? Not seen the article, but I think I heard some of the headlines. Sure. So um, they were talking about AI uh, and a gentleman at Apple named Ruslan Salahutdinov addressed roughly 200 AI experts um, posted by Apple talking about how Apple is using AI to um, identify objects on the road, um, other cars, you know, scan the scan the, the environs and that kind of stuff, and and clearly like leading towards some sort of uh, car project, which we've been talking about. So there's still hope for your 16 gig white Apple car, Jaime. Um, yeah. So just a quick little follow up there on the facts. So we'll link show notes here for people who are interested in following up on the story about Apple and how they're using 3D scanners and LIDARs and for auton- on a t- 
autonomous vehicles at some point in somebody's future, right? Yeah, I think one thing that's interesting to me is that Apple feels like kind of a wild card in this game. Of course, you know, mm-hmm. there's many others like Waymo and I guess Google Waymo and Uber and, and others getting into this game. Um, Apple is kind of a wild card in my opinion because they're just so ridiculously wealthy that they can not only do their own really you know cool research and come up with their own stuff, but they can also just afford to go buy stuff. Thinking of an analogy of like they just went and bought the technology for uh, Face ID or a, a component of it, I should say, right? The, the Prime Sense folks that they bought to do the uh, infrared mapping technology, that sensor technology. So I think it's pretty kind of exciting to see Apple jump into this because they, they can not only buy the technology, but they can also afford to make it affordable, if that makes sense, that so they can say, well, we're going to have, you know, X million widgets of this thing that we want to buy, which brings the manufacturing cost down, which means that it will trickle out to other things. So I feel like they will help democratize a particular bit of technology in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a link back here to um, uh, issue number eight on the machine Apple Machine Learning Journal, which we talked about on the show before. Uh, this is learning with privacy at scale. Uh, just a bunch of st- uh, articles here on uh, Apple's uh, forays into machine learning uh, around the you know various projects they're working on. So there's all eight issues here on this link that I'll put in the show notes as well. All right. And uh, I read an article this afternoon on um, Wired Magazine or Wired.com uh, about the various security stumbles that we've been talking about on the show with Apple, most notably the the root um, uh, blank and null password that we talked about a couple of weeks ago that uh, recommended everybody update their machines for, except for Jaime, who stayed behind on Sierra. But there's been a number of them, actually, that uh, we've made this article recounts. Um, you know, iOS 11 having the um, letter I uh, autocorrecting to a capital A. There was a, an iOS 11 issue with uh, HomeKit vulnerability where people were able to get in. It wasn't easy to get into, but still people were able, there was an exploit available for HomeKit. And of course, the article questions the same thing we've been saying, that, that it just seems that there seems to be a problem with Apple's ability to QA their own work, right? Either they're not paying attention or it's uh, too big a beast to try and control, right? Oh, and what's most notably, though, um, friend of the show, Marin Tortorov, is quoted in this article. So he says, I stopped using Apple's latest software some time ago. I always keep a couple of versions behind. That works okay, says Marin Tortorov, longtime iOS developer. I hope alarms are going off at Apple headquarters because they seem to be losing grip on their user experience and software quality. So when we say our buddy. couple of versions, do we mean minor versions? Like if iOS no, 11.2 he, is the latest, he's probably, iOS 11? He's probably talking about, yeah, he's probably talking about like he's probably on site Sierra or or even what was before Sierra, El Capitan, um, and maybe also, you know, iOS 10 instead of iOS 11. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just not, he's not just pushing update for the sake of updating, right? So, and that seems to be a, a wise move these days, right? So Malwarebytes, uh, the, uh, the, um, one of the guys from Malwarebytes has got a few things to say in this article about about that because they're those are the guys that keep track of um, you know various software exploits that are available on Windows and things like that as well, right? It's so weird because it's not as if Apple is generally bad at security. Let's let's not. No, they're very good at it. Like they have wildly sophisticated stuff. Like nobody's going to crack some of the main pieces, right? Um, they're they're a huge leader in that. What feels to me where they've stumbled is I think I said it in a previous episode that it's on the sort of things where they're getting stretched too thin for something. Um, possibly you know people say well they're moving too fast they don't need to release every year. I'm like well I, I still don't really think that's the problem because they're they yes having a yearly cycle increases you know the time pressure because they've yeah. broadened the, the the amount of services and software that they have to support. But I, I still feel like given their size, that's kind of solvable by money. You know, if, uh, easily, you know, uh, yeah, easily solvable by money. Yeah. I mean, if like, okay, well, you know, we don't want to give away all the cool secrets of, of, and we still want to have surprises of great, you know, who gets to test, you know, file 
default some other company because that's nobody cares about that in terms of like, oh, wow, can you believe Apple updated file vault? Oh, that's the big secret of WWDC. Like, no, okay, great. You know, just you know, buy a bunch of testers or outsource that part of it to somebody you trust or, or whatever. It feels like it's really solvable there so that they, while they have all of their attention on Face ID and Touch ID and Secure Enclave and all sorts of really cool stuff, I feel like they can still handle these other things even if it's by proxy through agents. Yeah, so you're saying outsource the the, the services, the QA and all that kind of stuff? Well, n- not all of it. I mean, to, I think to clarify a little bit, I mean, just on the things that... Um, that are not either not their bread and butter or that are kind of more in maintenance mode, right? It's like, oh, who gets to test whether you know, like root and a blank password works on macOS? Guess what? <laughs> you don't really need to uh, to have like your top notch testers testing that. You can have you know the junior ones testing that sort of thing, or you can automate those tests. And well, maybe they do have the junior ones testing some of that stuff, and that's why the stuff is slipping through. <laughs> yeah, that, that's entirely. Possible. <laughs> yeah, but somebody's got to be in control here. Yeah. So. But as you know, uh, they, they say in the article here, clearly something's going on there defies explanation as a coincidence at this point. Um, that's Thomas Reed from Malware Bytes Labs. Um, yeah, it's 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 concerning. I mean, you know, given that you know we've we've never really had to worry too much about Apple in general. You know, uh, the Mac's always been a pretty secure system. You know. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, Jaime, you got some uh, news that uh, just got announced at Apple. Yeah, um, it's kind of awkward because by the time this episode comes out, it'll feel kind of weird. But Apple has announced that the iMac Pro will be available starting Thursday. Is it? this recording it is wednesday by the time this episode comes out it will already be available so joy joy to you you can you can go buy one while you're listening to this episode uh base price of course starts at four thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars us um they've been seeding out to various people like cable sasser of uh, panic and a few other people whose names escape me sounds like pretty exciting hardware the the big knock on it if uh if we can call it that is that it's it's absolutely not upgradable in any way i mean this is this is an imac for heaven's sake like if you want upgradable hardware you probably can want to wait for the mac pro but if you really love the uh, the form factor of the iMac or you're like, hey, I'm just going to max this thing out and once it stops meeting my needs, I'm just going to buy the 2018 or the 2019 or whatever it is edition that you decide meets. Sounds like this does pretty well for the sorts of things that would require the horsepower that the GPUs provide, right? So if you're doing a lot of um, 3D modeling, 3D rendering, um, Swift compiling probably <laughs> works better on this if you turn on the uh, right. concurrency mode for that stuff that we talked about in previous episodes. Seems nice. It's, it's pricey. I'm, I'm not going to get one for myself because I think it's overkill for my needs, but I think if people have the need, it's it's out there. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a it seems like a real nice machine, and I probably won't buy one either because it's probably overkill for what I'm doing these days. But if you're editing video or or doing any any real advanced computation intensive work, then it could be a real real great thing. Yeah, it's pretty pricey. I mean, you know, when when you look at performance you get from equipment these days, I guess the Mac Pro is kind of sorry, the MacBook Pro is probably the the high horsepower choice people would go to, but even those i mean the logic boards and those are now all everything's soldered on the board you know the memory the like the ssd drive is soldered onto the board as well just like an ipad so we've had a couple go into service recently and and the whole logic board gets replaced right so hope you had that data backed up you know yeah so it's kind of interesting with this all-in-one design but uh it'd be nice to sure would be nice to have some some good horsepower this is a xeon processor i believe too right it's not the i7s you guys know i think that's right right, but i didn't double check we're here link to a really high-end spec what does this say yeah i'm still waiting for the 
the Mac Pro to come out. Not the iMac Pro, the actual Mac Pro, mm-hmm. the new one. Hopefully there'll be a, a rack-mounted version once again like they used to have. I don't have right, high hopes right. for that, but it would be real nice for that to have that. Right, right. So according to this uh, article here, it's an 8-core Xeon processor with con- configurations that scale up to 18-core Xeon processors, 5K display, and an all-new AMD Radeon Vega GPU. You can also shell out for between 16 gig of VRAM or 128 gigabytes of data, corruption protected ECC RAM, and a four terabyte SSD storage. But as you said, Jaime, it's not upgradable once you've once you've made your purchase decision. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're like the iFixit type, where you're willing to you know, pull apart, you know, glued on components and other things, and you're willing to solder things back together, sure. But it's it's not user serviceable. Like you know, I don't know. I can't even say Max nowadays because they're they're really more appliances like like old school computers like oh i need some more ram great let me just pop this thing open toss in some new dim chips and call it good um no you're, you're probably going to want to just buy a little bit beyond what you normally would or or max it out if you have the um the luxury of doing so um, or doing like mark and waiting for the actual mac pro which you can upgrade yourself presumably that's true but the mac pros generally that have been out for the last few years are, are pretty disappointing based on what they're what you pay for them and, and what you get out of them is that not true well certainly now the mac pro is disappointing because it, it's pretty old when it first came out it wasn't too bad but they right yeah they never refreshed it right so it right yeah yeah soon was out of date but you'd think now with the with the big emphasis on things like machine learning and and you know uh 3d modeling like you might need for ar kit and things like that uh that the need for this kind of stuff really really has gone through the roof i mean multiple cores are perfect for training machine learning models uh so you'd think that apple would would uh want to put out a product to to address that and it seems like a mac pro like i said a a rack uh, mounted you know version for a server room would be perfect for that but we'll see yeah it's true i think apple's decided that they're out of the enterprise market so they're not going to go after those rack mounts you know yeah it's too bad yeah interesting all right well the next story here is uh i don't know if you've probably heard it but uh the rumor by the time i pick up these stories uh it has come to pass that apple has bought shazam which is a music recognition software that's been around since around 2002 i believe uh long before the the iphone ever came around Uh, originally started out as a service in britain where you could call up uh, a certain number and hold your your phone or your cell phone up to a song and it would identify it so i think the the real purchase here is apple's buying a big music database um i think they forget what they said they were paying 400 million i think um there's a couple of links here in a couple of articles i linked in here one one is kind of wondering why apple would buy them shazam because shazam hasn't been doing that great lately but i think the thought was that it competes against um spotify is it spotify the ones spotify is the music one right yep. yes music streaming yeah so it competes against spotify who has a huge uh huge database as well of, of music right and apple's clearly you know they've been trying to get behind uh with apple music coming out uh, a year and a half ago or whatever right yeah i guess wow has it been that long yeah i guess it has been that long yeah nearly yeah. nearly two years now probably if not already mm-hmm. for, for apple music i mean right yeah just reading, reading here that um in the, in the first article that uh let's see yeah 400 million um but there's an interesting start article here based on uh, one written by the um, washington post but i saw it today in the in the toronto star about um the fact that shazam hasn't really been doing that great lately i don't know what that means 
things, but uh, oh, because as a as an app, I mean, it's basically dropped to like uh, 92 uh, on the App Store. Um, didn't even crack the top 100 apps in the in the Google Play Store. So it's clearly about buying the database. I think that's the, the main reason why Apple would go after these guys, right? Yeah, this is where I read the part about the uh, original app coming out in 2002 in the UK. It's a pretty cool app. I mean, I, I still use it to this day. Like, I don't know if, if you guys use Shazam much, but you know, you hear a song on the radio, you want to know what it is, and you, so you link it in Shazam, and it keeps keeps track of all the, the songs you've ever tried to listen to or try to recognize. It doesn't work on live music, but it works on uh, recorded music pretty well. Like, you know, just uh, whether it's, it doesn't matter what genre of music it is, it kind of can pick it out and tell you who the artist was is and what uh, song they're playing. You guys use the app at all? or Yeah, I use it all the time. Well, not all the time, but a lot. Yeah, well, frequently, right? Yeah. So I'm different. I don't use it at all. Um, I do use Shazam because Siri's music recognition powers are powered by Shazam. Um, oh, are they really? Yeah. So I'm kind of not surprised that the app wasn't doing too well. I was like, for me, uh, for my use case, so it sounds like you two are probably collecting your music in some sort of way, um, or at least hanging on to it. Uh, my needs are, are very much in the moment. Oh, what's this song that's playing? Siri, what's this song? Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> now I know what it is. I can just you know, go buy it on iTunes immediately or uh, right. do a playlist on Apple Music or that sort of thing. Like I'm not keeping any sort of historical aspects of it. So the Shazam integration with Siri worked fantastically for my use case. Hmm. I didn't know it was, I didn't know Shazam, uh, that Siri could recognize music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm guessing that was probably a big part of uh, acquiring Shazam. It's a little unclear to me specifically why they acquired versus just continuing the business relationship. It sounds like mm-hmm. there was either something that um, threatened that relationship. Like, I don't know, maybe somebody was going to acquire Shazam and Apple's like, well, we can't, we can't lose that capability in Siri. That would be terrible. Right, right. Um, yeah, or, like what happened to Google Maps. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or given the way that they're bringing out the HomePod and that's, of course, going to have Siri that's integration true. and music is a big part of it. Maybe they were held back by the fact that, like, you know what, wouldn't it be easier to just bring them in, in you know, in-house and have them powering Siri as part of the Siri team? Right, that's an interesting thing. I just want to take a sidebar here for a second here. So um, during the whole Black Friday thing and uh, sort of the Google rollout here in Toronto, in Canada, the Google Home, that is, right? They're, I think, retail, they're 159 Canadian and they've been selling them off, or sorry, 179 Canadian and they've been selling them for like $40 off for the last couple of weeks because I guess Black Friday and they're pretty much sold out here in Canada. If you wanted to try and pick one up for Christmas, they're pretty much gone. There, there are places, pockets of people that have, have um, boarded them, but compare that to what does the, what's the HomePod supposed to come out at? 239 or something US? 399 US. 399 so $400 US, which trends, well, that'll be around $500 Canadian by the time it gets out of here. Um, what do you think about the Google Home being priced where it is? Uh, a friend of mine just did, gave me a demo of his his Google Home uh, the other day over the phone, um, and it was pretty impressive. Like, he, you know, could ask the Google Home device all kinds of questions, and of course, you know, got the whole Google database backing it up, and, you know, automating his home and stuff like that, integrating with his Nest thermostat, things like that. So what do you think about Google's positioning versus Apple's HomePod? It's hard to say. We really haven't seen HomePod yet, Yeah, uh, and I haven't used Google Home, so, so I have no knowledge of any of this. Yeah, well, Jaime's got a Google Home, but um, I, I know he's a big Alexis fan, but um, Alexa fan, I should say. But um, what uh, what do you think, Jaime? What do you think about that? It, it, it's kind of difficult to compare without having the HomePod in hand. But from what I can tell, um, what angle do we want to take this at? So let's let's disregard the virtual assistants themselves because that's sure. a whole topic in and of itself. Let's just talk about like the devices that go through it. Um, the Home, and just for those to clarify, I mean the traditional classic Home, the one that looks kind of like in, was it like a Glade plug-in sort of thing, it kind of looks like a, like a votive candle sort of shape. Um, that device has better audio than something like the Echo Dot, and the Dot being the smallest or one of the smallest. 
Amazon, yeah, Amazon Google Echoes. Mini, the Google Mini thing, the little puck? Not the Mini. So that's why it gets confusing. So oh. <laughs> I have not seen the, the Mini in action. I assume its audio qualities are roughly comparable to an Echo Dot, given they're both 45-ish dollars yeah. US yeah. for them. And then you upgrade to the competitor. The main competitors are the Amazon Echo and the Google Home, who have probably roughly comparable audio. And then you step up to something like, um, I guess Amazon doesn't have a direct um, a direct option here. They don't have a Sonos speaker quality device, um, even though there are Sonos speakers that do have Alexa integration. The Google Home... Sorry, Mac, sure. Oh, look at that. I triggered it. <laughs> the, <laughs> the Google Home Max, if I'm not mistaken, the one that's, I think it's 359 or 399 US, yes. that sort of Sonos speaker you know, caliber of device right. that I think competes more directly with the HomePod. So that, to me, is kind of interesting as a one-to-one comparison, again, just for the uh, audio quality experience. Uh, virtual assistants, of course, are going to be like their own topic. And then the other thing to me is Amazon is well ahead of the game in terms of offering an Echo-related device in darn near everything, right? Like even to some extent, cases that I don't fully understand myself because I don't own some of these devices. Google's a little bit behind, but trying to catch up. They've got the Home, they've got the Mini, they've got mm-hmm. the Mac, so they're starting to broaden out their set. And here we are bringing up the rear as Apple with one and only one device. So uh, mm-hmm. as great as the, the HomePod sounds for its particular niche, I'm hoping that they also broaden the family a little bit and have a mini or micro or whatever, and maybe a mid-range one as well that aren't quite as focused on the higher fidelity audio and are just more focused on home automation or, or even just sort of so-so audio. You know, like if I'm washing dishes, probably don't need the greatest audio because I can't hear half of the tones anyways because it's drowned out by the running water. Yeah. I just need sort of like, hey, like play some Mozart. Okay, great. I'm amused. Yeah, I kind of wonder, I just I wonder if the HomePod will end up being like the Betamax of video, right? By the time they hit the street, they'll be, you know, so high fidelity that, you know, the market will have moved on. We'll see. Yeah, I, I, I think I've said on Twitter that like strategically, it's a little bit weird to me because when I look at the smart speaker sort of problem from a, like if I was a large company standpoint, what would I do? Um, How do I state this? I don't want to trivialize it because I'm not saying it's an easy problem. But I think audio quality is the one problem you can actually literally solve with money, right? If you're, mm. if you're, you know, I'm ABC company. Okay, well, can I spend money to just get a great virtual assistant? Probably not. I mean, how am I going to compete with Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Apple? That's really tough. Really, really tough. Right. Tons yeah. of data, tons of really good algorithms, tons of stuff that goes into it. Hey, I want to make a really good speaker. Oh, do I have enough money to license something from Sonos? Great. Do I have enough money to literally buy Sonos? Like if I'm Apple, great. Right. Again, not an easy, trivial problem. There's a real good reason why Sonos continues to exist as a company and they make really good products. But I feel like it was the one area where if you were going to step into this, you wouldn't start there because you go, oh, we can always fast follow with that. We can always license or partner or buy that technology if we need it. Mm, yeah. well, we'll have to see. Wait and see. When so the, And it's been delayed till January, right? The HomePod? I don't know that they said a specific date, just but not yeah. in 2017. Right, right. Okay, okay. Right. Well, the next uh, story here is about um, Apple has given developers the ability to have pre-orders of their apps, which is, I guess, interesting if you're linking, if sorry, if you're um, launching a new app uh, that's being developed, you can, um, I guess, in the same way that uh, movies that come out on Blu-ray or books that are coming out, 
um, or even I guess video games do this too, right? Where you can buy a video game knowing it's coming out you know, on a certain particular date. You can spend the money and buy it and get you know advanced you know points and rewards and things before they come out. So they're offering this to app developers to allow us to have pre-orders, which I guess is a good thing because it could fund a developer if it's a if it's a good enough idea, right? Um, help with the last sort of push towards marketing. What do you what do you think about this? It's an interesting idea. It's hard to imagine that that uh, you could raise enough money through pre-orders yeah. to to fund That's yourself. True. But but it would be it would be great if you could. It's sort of a mini Kickstarter kind of thing, right? Yeah, I suppose that may be what, part of what it is too. I mean, of course, Apple sort of gets thirty percent of that too, right? Yeah, yeah. But I, I can say just from a single data point that my best performing app ever was mm-hmm. uh, was Look Again, and that one was the one that I really did a lot of pre-release advertising and pushing. Was, yeah, uh, yeah, and and it seemed to work. So maybe there is. Oh, you did do a lot. You did do a lot. Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, oh, obviously yeah. not through Apple because it wasn't available at the time, but right. through right. various blogs and websites and whatnot. Hmm. Yeah, and it and like I said, it seemed to work a lot. So and it so you had like a list of people waiting for the app to launch, kind of thing, or well, no, I didn't. I didn't keep track of who was waiting uh, because right. it, it didn't really do you any good anyway to have that list at the time. But just by by building demand by by you know talking about it beforehand, right, right, and and of course that led to Apple noticing it and uh, and hmm. featuring it on the on the front page of the App Store. So uh, there is something to getting the word out early. Right. I'm going to split my response between two halves: the developer half and the user half. And okay, spoilers. I think it's great for everybody. Um, I think Mark's <laughs> right on for the developer half. Let's go with that one because it, it, it's very similar to what Mark said. That that uh, this gives you another avenue to have people be aware of your app because before this it was like okay you're either gonna have to do a lot of marketing up front and just like hope that everybody remembers that december 17th is the day that my fantastic new app comes out hope you get into the right crowd and that you've you know done all the legwork you still have to do that i'm not gonna say you don't but now you have an additional tool where people say yeah i think that sounds like a pretty good idea i want this abc app okay great you know sign up for it and or pre-order it and you will have it when it becomes available right um i think that's that's good for everybody it's it's hard to see downsides from the developer side and especially because it's limited to um, no more than 90 days in the future. So it sort of avoids the incentive to to turn it into a, a Kickstarter scam sort of thing, which is the thing I was worried about when I heard about it, which might be a nice segue into the user side, where as a user, I also kind of don't want to have to remember that, oh yeah, there was a Verge article about that ABC app. I better remember that it comes out this day, or I hope I'm paying attention when, um, when the follow-up article says, oh, by the way, it actually is available now. Instead of just sign up for it to the app store or plunk my money down and, and get some sort of deal on, um, uh, you know, like you're one of the early adopters sort of thing that you can do the, the sales benefits, right? That, that kind of crosses both developer and user side. So I mean, I'm not going to say there aren't going to be ways that people will find interesting loopholes, then sure, we'll get very angry about it, probably talk about it on the show, but hopefully Apple will close up whatever those end up being. But I, I think this is generally pretty positive for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. All right. Well, I guess we're at the, the round up here we're at the pick picorama section of the show right sure are we mm-hmm. that's pretty quick okay so honey what do you got for us this week this is more of an awareness pick i guess because i've i've not actually used this this is turi create um turi is a company from the seattle area that apple acquired and they do or did i guess a lot of ai machine learning related stuff and i have no idea what they happen to do with apple at the moment but um, i'm sure that's the reason why apple acquired them and mm. they've open sourced uh or i guess apple has open sourced to recreate, which on the tin here proclaims to simplify the development of custom machine learning models. Um, so they show an example of an image classifier, creating an image classifier 
software with a few lines of code. Um, looks like it's a Python-based tool, as I would kind of expect, because that seems to be the lingua franca of uh, machine learning tools. Uh, supports uh, macOS, Linux with glibc as a requirement, and Windows 10 via WSL, which I have no idea what that is. It's probably like a Bash <laughs> integration-related thing. But if you're listening and you're on this show, listening to the show and you're a Windows 10 user, uh, hit us up that one because I don't know what that is. It seems pretty cool because it seems like, uh, I mean, if I look at the example here, where it's like, all right, load some data, uh, create a model, make some predictions. It looks kind of in the vein of the way that CoreML is really helping to make the, not the classification side, but the um, inference side of, of machine learning so much easier to use than it than it was before. So this seems pretty exciting. Looks like all WSL right. stands for Windows Subsystem for Linux. Uh, there we go. Compatibility hmm. layer for running Linux binary executables natively on Windows 10. Okay, that makes that makes sense because they do have Bash integration on Windows 10. So that's probably how they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, my pick is I'm always a sucker for analog synthesizers and I always st- I stumbled across this one and I forget where the link was on maybe Facebook, I'm not sure. But it talked about a free um, frequency modulator FM player classic DX synth. And basically what it is is this company has put together a, um, a series of uh, like a free synth player for, for your uh, your iPad that emulates the popular sounds of the 80s and 70s and 80s synthesizers of the, the Yamaha DX line of, of uh, synthesizers. And so it's a fun little tool you can play around with. It's got a you know couple of octave keyboard um, and some point and click kind of uh, adjustments, uh, a couple of, um, you know, uh, attack, delay, hold, that kind of stuff, uh, different oscillators and simple things. And, and super easy to to sort of play around with it, you want to just get sort of um, some sounds out of it. The thing is, though, I'm just, uh, it's not just about um, this player because when you dig it a little bit into the under the hood, um, it's built with a tool called Audio Kit, which is um, by the same company. And not only is is uh, it a cool free synthesizer here, because I'm kind of scratching my head, why would these guys do this for free when most music uh, MIDI capable music synthesizers? I, yeah, I forgot to mention it's also MIDI capable. Um, charge a few dollars for these. They're not normally cheap apps. Well, it turns out the Audio Kit and Audio Kit Pro is a free kit that you can use to build music apps. In other words, apps to produce music. And uh, there's been a number of, there's even a tutorial on RayWonderlake.com I found late in the in the exploration of this, but you can download this software. There's a, if you go to the web, follow the website to AudioKitPro.com um, they have uh, demonstrations of how you can um, they've got a little tutorial in here on how you can build your own kit. So they give you all the tools tools and they've open sourced the software that or the, the you know the, the knobs and the keyboards and all that kind of stuff they've open sourced all of that so you can actually create your own synthesizer app and put it up on the app store presumably and it, it's interesting in the number of um, apps that are uh, have used audio kit in the production of their of their their softwares one is notably our favorite app in the world a black box by um, Brian, Brian McLeod another one a karaoke game a pitch ops is a few is a, a link to even more apps Apps that have used this framework within their apps. Uh, quite a few of them, actually. And there's a whole but all series of videos in here about uh, apps that have used um, this kit, this audio kit, builder app. So that's my pick is this week is these fine folks over at AudioKit Pro that not only produced a free synthesizer, but have also given us all the building blocks to basically create our own uh, software app that use music as the main the main reason for, for doing it. So something that might interest Mark, something that interests me for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that, so that's my pick. Yeah, I actually, I actually uh, played with Audio Kit a, a while back, probably at least a mm-hmm. year ago, and it was it was pr- a pretty cool thing. Yeah, I didn't spend a whole lot of time on it, but just 
kind of tried it out and gave it a spin and and uh, always meant to go back to it and do more with it, but just never found the time. Yeah, I, I don't know how I, you know, being on the team at Raywinder, like I, I missed the audio kit tutorial because like, we get a tutorial every day from those guys and it's really hard to keep up, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, just trying to find the link here for the tutorial. Mark, I've not done board. much with audio. I am aware that core audio can be messy and that they added stuff to AV Foundry. <laughs> I think that was easier to use, but less sophisticated, I think. Um, and you talk about those sort of three things, audio kit, core audio, and uh, the AV Foundation audio side of things. Like compare and contrast, like, like, like what, what's the, what's the, like the reason that this exists? Like, I'm sure there is a really good reason. I can kind of guess, but oh, I, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So core audio, of course, is the, is the lowest level one, right? If you want to get mm-hmm. down to the, it's, it's kind of the equivalent of doing something in, in OpenGL or metal for graphics, but you do that for audio. You can use core audio for that. Uh, although there are, you know, there are some higher level, uh, pieces on top of that. Uh, audio, uh, AV foundation is, is even higher level than that. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's like got an AV player, AV recorder, which are very, very high level. You don't need to know too much about the underlying mechanism of, of how, how it works with the hardware, or you don't have to know anything about, uh, you know, waveforms or anything like that. Uh, you mm-hmm. can just say record or playback and, and it just does it. Uh, with core audio, you need to know a little bit more. You need to know about the data structures and, and, and how things are wired up. And audio kit, uh, was even more higher level than that. You could, instead of, instead of, um, just having a player or a recorder, you can, you can have a thing that's just a, a waveform source, uh, right. and you can connect it up to player or something like that, and and add effects and 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 things very easily. So, uh, so yeah. So if if you want if you want to just have just very very general purpose audio inside your app, then probably AV Foundation is is fine for that. Uh, if you're if you're trying to build an app that processes audio or real time or or synthesizes stuff, and well, maybe more the, the processing audio. Real time, uh, and you really need high latent, uh, low latency for that. Uh, then core audio is the way to go. And if you're mm-hmm. trying to synthesize things or, or just build sort of uh, a, a, a higher level um, audio product, then Audio Kit can help you out to do that. I think core audio can do everything that Audio Kit does, but it's always a trade off of uh, you know how much how much of the work do you want to do yourself, how, down, how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So here's some highlights mm-hmm. on their blog. So they've got a game. Boy sound emulator built with audio kit. Sorry about that. Um, this karaoke game, awesome karaoke game by Singon built with audio kit. Um, Snoog Music and Snoog Scratch built by audio kit. Learn how to play piano by Scoov, which is another app built with audio kit. A free theremin app built with audio kit, which is kind of interesting. Um, of course, Black Box. Um, he, used, uh, he used the sound generation to create the sounds within the game. Um, so, you know, when you're playing, in, I, I usually play the game with the sound off, but uh, if you play with the game, there's, you know, every time you go down a layer it, it makes a little sound and sound, sound is a big part of that app as well um so I, i've talked about um pd which is a very low level um language for creating sound uh, in the past um was one of my picks from before um oh there was even a talk at 360i dev Jaime, that we missed is that from this year build your own custom musical instrument this is one of the talks i wanted to go to but i think we were <laughs> we were giving our own talk <laughs> I think yeah, it was at our at time of our talk. So his talk is listed here as well. So quite a few things. Like I'm I'm always been interested in in you know I I like I like uh, analog synthesizers. I you know I kind of lust after them, and but they're like you know thousands and thousands and thousands.
thousands of dollars. So when I can buy like a, a an app that's you know thirty or forty dollars that does the same thing as like a three thousand dollar analog synthesizer, I'm, I'm I tend to go that way. So um, I think it's just cool. I mean, you know, lots of fun to play with, and you know, pretend that you're Edgar Winter for a few hours. You know, <laughs> obscure reference that only Mark gets. Yeah. Um, all right. So and my or, my last pick here. Sorry, I was going to say, or even uh, Walter Carlos, right? Or or uh, Keith Emerson, yeah, yeah, right. Or Getty Lee. Um, <laughs> so my last pick was here. Is this sort of an interesting thing? I didn't realize. So I, we talked about, and this is sort of follow up too. We talked about Ethereum and we talked about Bitcoin a while back. We were talking about blockchain technologies and Bitcoin and that kind of stuff and how they're related to each other. Um, I didn't realize that when we were talking about Bitcoin a couple of weeks ago, remember Bitcoin was about five thousand dollars. Yeah, now right? close to twenty thousand dollars. Twenty thousand. So at that time, a couple of days after that episode, I went and because I already had set up my my account through Coinbase, which is my pick here. Um, it's a UK company, and they had finally figured out how I could use my Canadian bank to buy uh, to buy Bitcoin. So I, I bought twenty dollars worth of Bitcoin, and and so after last weekend's you know kind of explosion, that twenty dollars worth of Bitcoin is now worth one hundred and forty dollars. Right? Yeah. So um, yeah. So anyway, Coinbase. Then Tim, huh? you're buying the beers next time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll wait and see if the bubble will burst by the time I get there, because that's the other thing I hear is this, the bubble's going to burst, right? But I had no idea that, that until Carol mentioned it to me the other day. So Coinbase is an app that I use to to manage my wallet and also to it also gives you um, reports on how the price of um, bit uh, sorry how the price of Bitcoin is doing right now. Let me see if I can get Coinbase here. Oh, it's still open here, and it uses that um, uh, Authy technology to log me in as well. Yeah. So um, let's see. I made thirty dollars last night since I last looked at this. Yeah. So Bitcoin is now at twenty one thousand dollars. I bought some Ethereum there uh, to keep Jaime happy as well. Um, so it's at nine sixty one. I think when we talked about it, it was around three hundred dollars too. So everything's kind of going through the roof right now with this Ethereum stuff or with uh, with Bitcoin, right? Yeah. So I bought twenty dollars worth of, of of Ethereum and it's now worth fifty two, Jaime. Wow. And so I bought. Um, Are you going to get into Litecoin as well? That's the one that was. Well, that, this, uh, it's also available. Like LC, there's LTC wallet. I don't know about that one. I keep hearing about new coins every every uh, couple of days, right? Um, so yeah, so I have one hundred and seventy dollars US in uh, no, so one hundred and seventy dollars Canadian in, which is what fifty bucks can, American, right? Um, so one hundred seventy dollars Canadian in Bitcoin, and I bought back in when was this purchase done? So August third, I guess it was on August when we were talking about that. I bought um, twenty dollars worth of Bitcoin, and then I bought another fifty dollars the other day. So which kind of throws my numbers off. But yeah, so it's uh, hey, I'm gonna ride the wave. You know? yeah. <laughs> not that we're necessarily recommending that anyone buy no, Bitcoin. No, we're uh, not. We're not, what's it? Disclaimer time, Jaime. Yeah, I was gonna say. Thankfully, Mark covered it. Talk to, your, it? talk to your financial advisor or your tax advisor yeah. before we're not lawyers or financial advisors or whatever. Yeah. Right. I don't know what I can do with this Bitcoin, but mind you, I can, I can pay people for things on PayPal with Bitcoin and some software developers are accepting Bitcoin and who knows, right? Yeah. It's so wild and volatile right now that, um, what's their name? Steam, the video game marketplace sure has stopped accepting Bitcoin because it was getting out of hand. Like it, their, their business was getting crazy. So you can imagine like, oh, I tried buying really? this game. It should be you know twenty dollars worth of Bitcoin, but by the time the transaction went through, it's actually worth a completely different amount. And if the user needed a refund because they didn't like the game, and you can imagine how that might get out of hand given the the volatility here. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe you know you know the the ICOs, the initial coin offerings are like the new hotness for raising funds. Um, you know, we do have our Patreon, but maybe we should start an MTJC coin. But, you know, <laughs> we can get right now on this hot rocket for, for the low yeah. low price of 
TBD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we'll close the podcast down and just go into like money trading, right? Yeah. Yeah, you and I would both get in trouble for doing that. You realize that, right? And, and we, you know, <laughs> South Korea has, I think, come down really hard on, on ICOs and oh, I, yeah. ads are looking real closely at it. The, the SEC in the United States is looking and they, they shut down one of them, I think, and say, nope, that's that's full on scam. That this is, or, uh, this is a security. You can't do this. Hmm. And so it, it's, uh, yeah, it, this is not financial advice. This is not investment advice. Uh, yeah. You're almost certainly going to do something wrong if you're listening to us <laughs> giving you this kind of advice. Go talk to a professional about it. Yeah. yeah. So, hey, just one last thing before we go. Um, remember we talked last week about those Echo Base jackets by Star for by Columbia, the Star Wars uh, Empire Strikes Back style jackets. Mm-hmm. They went on sale. What I, th- I think was Friday morning or Saturday morning, whatever, like at midnight. They sold out within a few hours. Oh. Yeah. So sorry, Mark, you can't get one after all. Oh well. <laughs> There's always eBay. Maybe you can pay with Bitcoin. Oh, you can yeah. pay two thousand dollars on eBay for these jackets. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. There's always always eBay is always an option, right? Anywho, I don't know. I wouldn't buy jacket sight unseen no matter what it was. Um, yeah, maybe I would buy a Star Wars jacket. Who am I kidding? Okay, I mean, so I'm people want to find you. You didn't buy one of these jackets. Yeah, well, I, I did try, but I forgot. I, I missed the I missed the uh, thing, so I didn't even get the chance to see uh, how much they were. Right, they're harder to so get than know. a WWDC ticket, even, huh? I guess, yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah. All of our fans of the show listened listen to the show and bought them. Mm. Actually, by the time the show came out, they were sold out. Mm. Uh, anywho, uh, so hi, man. If people want to find you on the interwebs, wherever they look. I'm on Twitter as at DevWithTheHair. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you. Mark R at Snapsoft.com. All right. And as I said at the top of the show, my name is Timitra. I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. And we will talk to you guys next week. Bye. 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 If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Alrighty then. What's new and exciting? No? As far as the topics, uh, we, how about we, Alabama? Yeah, yeah, that was going to swing right into politics. Yeah. <laughs> There's hope for the country after all. So the what the uh, the guy the, the guy they didn't want to get in got didn't get voted in. Yeah. So Alabama hasn't elected a Democrat in decades. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like thought, 25 thought, years. Thought, um, like yeah. I thought Clinton was uh, from Alabama. No, Arkansas. No, no, Arkansas. 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 Oh, okay, okay, right. Yeah, Alabama is hmm. one.
one of the reddest of the red states for sure. And for yeah. this to happen is uh, pretty. And this was electing bad. a senator. Senator, yeah. The replacement for Jeff Sessions, who's now the secretary, uh, the uh, uh, attorney general. Oh, I see. Right, right. So this mm. is a special election to fill his spot. Right, right. Yeah, and there's only a hundred senators. Um, right. So it's real important for the battle for one third of our our government, uh, governmentary. Well, I guess it's not one third. Part of one third of our so power. Half of yeah, it's half of a third. So I guess that's a sixth. Mm-hmm. So are you senator for life in the United States? No, no, no. Six years. Oh, six years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here in Canada, I think you're senator for life or something like that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I don't know if you. I don't think we elect them. I think they're appointed. Yeah, I think it's the same sort of as same sort of idea as the sort of ro- original Roman idea where uh, people can start yelling at their phones if they like. But the sort of idea is, um, you know, we, once you're in, you're in, sort of thing, right? I think you're appointed by the uh, prime minister. Hmm. Yeah. So what do you know? I mean, I guess depending how successful here you are, there are guys like uh, Strom Thurmond who was in there for a huge amount of time. Yeah. He passed away mm-hmm. in his 90s. Oh, really? yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But there is some hope to, to Mark's point. It, it's ever so slight glimmer of hope because, I mean, it's it was a very slim victory for a guy who you would think would handily lose. But, you know, he's got the, he, he was on the, the correct team to sort of pitch above, uh, punch above his weight, I think. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but a one point uh, victory for Democrat in Alabama is like a, a 50 point victory anywhere else. Yeah. Like, I guess it's like Caesar crossing the Rubicon kind of thing. It's like, it doesn't seem that big, but it might be very momentous going here in the future. Right. Yeah. And it was also very confusing because, you know, just hearing people talk about Alabama controversy, I'm like, mm, I'm not sure if you're talking about politics or you're talking about college football. Please explain before I make one of you angry. Right. <laughs> I think Al Franken was officially replaced, right? Did that already happen? I thought I saw a headline about that. Yeah. I think the uh, lieutenant governor from Minnesota was appointed in his spot. How does that work? So when a senator has to step down or leaves office for any reason, the governor of that state gets to appoint a temporary. Oh, temporary. Yeah. Until they have an election. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, you know, maybe if it's if it's close to the time that there was going to be an election anyway, they may just, you know, just wait till the regular election or they can do a special election uh, like they did in Alabama this time. I think it depends mm-hmm. on a case by case basis. So with Al Franken stepping down, uh, the governor of Minnesota appointed the lieutenant governor, who currently was kind of considered to be the successor anyway to Al Franken. Uh, right. So she just took the job a little early, it looks like. I think who this is good for is uh, Google, Facebook, and Twitter, who were just getting torn up by Al Franken over the uh, uh, Russian interference via social media angle. Um, he's, you know, very intelligent senator. He's, uh, as a former comedian, witty and charismatic. And now they don't have that person making them look bad with these 10-second sound bites that show up on Twitter or CNN. Hmm. Not saying it's a good thing overall, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, for them, I'm like, oh, who who wins in this situation, given that he's gone? Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do? I don't know. What was the... Let's go on the other side of the forthcoming wall. Um, how are things going in Canada? We saw that Tim Cook and uh, Trudeau... Did you pal around? Picture. I don't know. Did you give him an iPhone 10 or something? What, what was <laughs> what was the deal with that picture? I don't know. So look. I thought they were they were speaking at some um, summit somewhere. Was it here? It wasn't here in Canada, was it? Or did Trudeau come down to the States and go for a coffee at the uh, visitor center? Oh, here it is here. Eight days ago. And what do you think Tim Cook is showing PM... Just and 
Pedro on his iPhone 10 in this image. No idea. Yeah, they were at a fortune forum in China. Hmm. Oh, and then he, he tweeted out to him. Uh, and he tweeted back. So it sounds pretty pretty chilled and relaxed. It's uh, the winter season is coming. You're basking in the glory of um, having both of the I have was it the Argonauts the uh, oh no the, the Toronto FC Toronto FC oh the, yeah the Argonauts won and the Toronto FC beat Seattle. I'd like to point out. I know it it, it should burn me, but it it really doesn't because somehow this, it doesn't <laughs> this year and last year Toronto was clearly the better team in both. We happen to have the championship from last year, which you can never yeah. be taken away, but. It, Toronto must have had like 20 shots on goal and we had one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like one shootout or something, right? It, it was, yeah, it was like, man, we did not look like we were on the same class in that, that game. Really, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I got the impression that Toronto was like really uh, poised to, you know, strike back. Yeah. After being robbed. We was robbed. Seattle just needs <laughs> to do better next year to host the game in Seattle and I think the entire equation changes. Yeah. Huge home yeah. crowd advantage. Hmm. Well, according to Randy Ritchie, uh, Tim Cook and, and uh, Justin Trudeau talked about quantum computing. Really? No joke? <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys not, never seen that thing where... Uh Trudeau was at a at a university, right? Yeah, and he was there doing a speech or whatever, and it was he was there, I guess, in the physics department or, or computing department or whatever. And somebody asked him about what he thought about quantum computing, and uh, and so everybody everybody kind of laughed and went ah, ha 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 ha, right? And then Trudeau actually said explained what quantum computing was and did a decent job of it. As yeah. 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 So wait a minute, we didn't talk about this uh, Microsoft quantum language. No, we didn't. Yeah, I, I wimped out because I was like, all right, it seemed like an interesting topic. I tossed it in there before we had any content and then I watched their like 10 minute tutorial video mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. half got it and said alright I, I can't I can't speak to this <laughs> it's like I barely know some of the stuff about quantum computing I have zero clue after watching that 10 minute video as to how using their kit on a normal plain Jane non-quantum computer mm. lets you do interesting things yeah. right? like I, I was telling Tim it felt like oh you've given me a transistor back in the 1940s or 50s and I have no idea. I was like, oh, that's cool. What can I do with it? Like, I can't see the future, what, what it is. Yeah. Coming back to Tim Cook for a minute, uh, apparently he's had done four, 482 tweets. He's posted 196 videos and he has 8.84 million followers. Oh. A few <laughs> more than Barack Obama. Or maybe not. I don't oh, know. I thought Obama had like 60 million, doesn't he? Does he? Yeah, I think so. Because he has more than Trump. That was that was well, a big issue at one point. Really? Yeah. It doesn't say on his Wikipedia page how many tweets he's done. I wonder if he gets that weird special privilege thing that Greg mentioned like how Apple's Twitter account is really weird. I get tweets but you can't see the list of their tweets and other right. weird things. Who, Obama? Or, 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 or any of them, right? Like you mentioned Tim Cook's stuff and POTUS and everything. I wonder what sorts of stuff they have. Oh, we can see what POTUS is tweeting and you can see what Barack Obama is tweeting. Yeah, you're right. He's got 97 million followers now. I think he's got more than more than he started with or more than he ended with I should say when he left the office. I mean, there's a whole weird thing about that. John McCain was really close to meeting some milestone. I don't know what it is, like 3 million or something. And he mm. tweeted about it and people got very politically angry at him. So they started unfollowing him to make it harder for him really? to reach. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know where he's at now, but... Yeah, nice. Oh, he's got his own website, Obama.org. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so what, what you were talking about somebody about how did Trump get, why did Trump get elected in one particular market? And it was not so much... Again, it was the, the people... I think that um, Clinton's team underestimated how much people didn't like her yeah. in some markets. I think... Yeah, that was part of it, for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to hold out my opinion that all of these factors had to come into play for the election to turn out the way it did. And I 
think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not easy, but the very simple answer is to say, well, we need to get more people to vote, right? Yeah. We can't have yeah. such a small number of voters, which means every small little thing of like the Russians did this. Uh, people don't like Glenn from that. People believe crazy things over here. Like all of those things, they don't matter if you have, you know, instead of 30% people voting, you had 40 or 50% people voting. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, mm-hmm. the Electoral College changes that dynamic a bit because you can have, like happened, you can have millions of people voting in California and it ends up not really mattering because the election was decided in places like uh, Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania in, and really the, the rural areas of those states is where a lot of, a lot of the, the, the swing action happened. Sure. No, no doubt it makes it more difficult than straight popular vote would. Yeah. But I think it still stands that if you had, you know, 100% of everyone eligible to vote actually voting, um, I think there's no chance the election turns out the way it did. Yeah. Well, that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah, I think probably a lot of people did stay home because they thought it was a done deal. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, so, but Alabama proved yesterday that, that uh, you can make a difference, right? Yeah, yeah. I would be a big fan of making election day a national holiday, mm-hmm. make it easier for folks to do that sort of stuff. Of course, I also think that the day after the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Monday, would be a holiday as well. Hmm. Mark, did you see that pickup sent for you on uh, more than just code Slack? No. No, okay. All right. Never mind. Never mind. Use it for next week then. There's another Matthias um, link on another post for he did for his machine language website. But I don't <clears> see it at all on really? here. Yeah, that's weird. I, I definitely saw a link. Uh, when was that? I thought it was today. Yeah, what the hell, man? Where'd it go? Or maybe I pasted it in the wrong room. <laughs> did you put uh, it on, on Spotcast or something? <laughs> no. The hair? Did you send it directly to me? How did I see it? Oh, you know what I put? I put it and I, yeah, what an idiot. What an idiot. I put it in, in the private chat between Harmony and myself. Oh. That would explain it. Yep. No wonder he didn't. That Mark guy, he never respects the links I send him. <laughs> I didn't even <laughs> notice I just saw at Mark pick. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Mark will take a look at that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, I just pasted it in the Slack there for you, Mark. Goddamn, yeah, Mark, uh, he doesn't spy on us enough. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, I don't spy on you enough. No, you don't. No. <laughs> private chat. You're too honorable. Yeah, custom layers and Coramel. Oh, okay.